Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm really happy to invite my uh, old friend Eric Sanchez onto the show, who I've been admiring and following now for the last few years because of his just tremendous persistence in, in LA, where he lives, making a life for himself. And you know, Coming from Southern California, we have a lot of friends, mutual friends who have done the same thing, gone to LA, tried to make a life for themselves. And, you know, I've lost touch with them and, and he's the only one who's really been broadcasting his step by step process and really a successful one, you know, a, a rise to the top, a projection going towards a very successful life. So I thought it'd be really cool to bring him on and kind of get the ins and outs of what's going on in LA and, and how it's going for him. So with that said, welcome, Eric. How are you today? Um, after that intro, I'm fantastic. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you, man. I really do. I follow you and you're always posting stuff that you've been doing and the things that you're producing. And, you know, I'd like to maybe start with getting a little bit about you, your background, and maybe your motivation to move to LA, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, so I guess we start um, at the beginning. I was actually born in Hollywood on Sunset and Vine. Um, so I have a funny joke that I tell people when they ask like where I'm from and especially if they're in my office, which is a few blocks away from the hospital that I was born. And, uh, and the joke is, you know, well, I guess I haven't gone far, but in actuality, you know, uh, I feel like I've gone really far and that I'm actually closer to uh, the young man that I was basically coming out of, of the womb and growing up with this huge imagination in Los Angeles, you know, um, I spent my earlier years in a town called Highland Park, which is a predominantly Mexican city here in L.A. It's not anymore, obviously, due to gentrification and stuff like that. But uh, and then I I believe I was about first grade, first grade. I remember walking to school on my own, um, single mom type situation. And uh, I remember this feeling of independence and being able to do what I want to do. So I would ask my mom for money in the first grade and I would walk to a donut shop and buy myself an apple fritter like every freaking morning, right? And then come to find out at the end of the year, every teacher or whatever teacher I had in that year was like, yeah, that kid has crazy like ADHD. <laughs> um, and I think I was just high on sugar the whole time. But uh, moving past that, you know, just kind of went through the whole private school then public school system here in Los Angeles. Um, and I ended up in Newport beach, my sophomore year in high school. And, um, I mean, if you talk about like a changing of scenery, then there's no bigger changing of, of scenery. You know, there's no bigger change of scenery than going from Los Angeles to orange County. Right. Um, right. I mean, as you know, you grew up there. Um, Everyone thinks I grew up there. I think I grew up there because I spent upwards of 11 years from the time I was 15 until uh, I think I left the first time when I was 18, uh, came back immediately because when I got to L.A., it, I didn't even relate to the people over here anymore. 
And they didn't really to me. They looked at me like an alien. It was really interesting. They're like, what are those things on your, on your legs? I'm like, Oh, those are board shorts. <laughs> These are board shorts. And they're like, what? I know. I get, uh, I get that a lot actually on my travels. They always ask me, you know, what's the strangest place you've ever been? You know, I've been around the world quite a few times and I'm always like Newport Beach, California, man. I've never been to a stranger <laughs> place in my whole life. I grew up exactly. Here. Exactly, man. So, um, but you know, all the history of, you know, my childhood and coming there and, and all that stuff and the cultural divide, I think really, really, really was, um, a humongous benefit, at least for my mind. Cause I've, I've always been like a why person. I remember at a very early age, sitting at a bus stop on Figueroa and like Avenue 42 or something in Highland Park. And I remember a car passes me and I see this girl. She looks right at me and I look right at her. And that whole day, I was just wondering about this, about this person. And not because I was attracted to her or anything like that, because I saw into her eyes and I wanted to know what her life was about. Why did she have that look in her eyes? Where was she going? Where did she come from? What are her parents like? What? And that's just been, you know, in me, this constant need for information, knowledge and creating. And, uh, you know, the whole LA to OC thing allowed me to really uh, begin to understand people. And by understanding people, I began to understand myself or give myself a little more credit. Like when I look back at at it, you know, any mistake or, you know, any kind of, anytime I'm, I'm anxious or have any apprehension towards something, you know, you could think about all these people you met in life and all these journeys that we've kind of all taken to be in the same room. And, um, and you realize, Hey, we're just humans, you know, we're all just a bunch of humans trying to figure this shit out. Right. Right. Let's, uh, touch upon that, you know, your journey back to LA and, and what your aspirations were, because I think a lot of people intuitively said like, Oh, you went back to become an actor. What drew you back there? And what was your motivation? So growing up in the, in the arts, I have an older sister and she was, uh, she was like a hair model really young and she was into, you know, some acting stuff and, um, and some theater stuff. And, and then me as a child trying to be like my older sibling, I was right. I was right there behind her, you know, but at a certain point, I, I established like a stutter um, and crippling anxiety, like crippling anxiety. At what point was this? What age? I want, I want to say around like 13 or 14. I mean, the stutter thing that happened like really young, um, all through elementary school, I kind of stuttered. It never stopped me from talking, <laughs> which, okay. which is, which is really interesting. Um, but it was you know, as a kid growing up wanting to be an actor or wanting to be in the theater or wanting to be like my older sister, she didn't stutter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so that was always interesting, but I always wanted to be an actor. I, I did. I, I grew up with media and it's just something that I wanted to do. I, I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I wanted to do it. So in 2001, 2002, a buddy of mine who, who had moved, who we went to high school with, he moved to LA um, and got a bunch of gigs, was on a show on the Disney channel, this, that, and the other, he had a room open and he was like, dude, this is your, you know, this is your shot. At the time I was rapping. So I was a rapper for a little bit there, the, a good one, if I may throw that in there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, dude, I, I did it. I did it. I just moved, dude. I told my mom, 
we had moved back in together, you know, and I was like, Hey, I got to do this. Like, I just got to do it. And she's really funny. My mom, because she understands, I mean, she was a single mom raising me, you know, I'm her only son. So at the end of the day, you got to let a man be a man at whatever age they are. And she's always been like that with me. And, you know, I resented her for a minute because of that, because it's like, well, I don't have any parenting. I'm only, you know, I'm only 13 or I'm only, you know, 20. I need guidance. But I think she understood that I was smarter than that. Right. So she's like, hey, you got to go. You got to do what you got to do. So I came here and uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I spent two years uh, pretending is the only way that I could really describe it. I mean, from, you know, the parties and the, I mean, we moved into a, into a fucking mansion. Hmm. There's four of us. One guy was a former snowboarder. One guy was um, a former NFL guy. I had my boy who's an actor and me who is a rapper. So you have this, this entourage before entourage. And, and our circle was the Paris Hilton's of the world. The, I mean, I just ran into uh, Sharon Osbourne the other day. At, I'm at a Starbucks here, here by my house, and and I'm looking at her. She's looking at my dog. We're talking, and I'm thinking like, I know your kids. You know what I mean? Like, I know your kids. And this was all this time where I was here trying to do what I thought like was my calling. Right? I was born here. I, you know, I was in art. This is where. This is my home. This is where I need to be. Were you were you going on auditions? Like, what do you mean by just posing? I wasn't doing anything. I was doing a lot of drugs. I was doing a lot of drinking. Um, I was doing minimal sleeping, a lot of bullshitting, uh, because I just didn't know. I, I, I wasn't prepared for all of this. I really wasn't. And the thing about Hollywood that a lot of people who aren't from here understand very quickly is it likes fresh meat. This is a, a machine here in Hollywood and the younger, the newer, the, the more naive, the more starstruck, the better, because you come in, you get an opportunity quick. And I did, I got here. I, I was on like a reality show, like a, a dismiss, like dating show. There's a show called dismiss. And I'm really glad this doesn't like exist online anymore. I can't find it. I've looked. Um, but I was just given like all these little opportunities. I was, I was able to go in and like write for JLo and I was able to do this and do all these cool little things during not eating, drinking excessively, going out every night, doing drugs. Like it, it, it was kind of a mind fuck because when you live in a mansion, okay, when everyone who comes to your door is some level of celebrity or like celebrity child then where's the work and why work? I'm already fucking here. You made it already, huh? I made it. Right. So, so in about 2004, I, um, you know, I completely hit bottom. I hit, well, it actually wasn't bottom because bottom comes a little later, but I, I just kind of had enough and I moved back to orange County to be safe. It was way too much here. Um, I just couldn't really handle it and I had no idea what I was going to do. But I knew that all my friends and my family was still in Orange County. And, um, you know, I sucked it up and moved back. That's kind of when we reconnected. I had just come back from traveling. And I remember we spent a few nights hanging out at the bars, actually. But uh, yeah, and I didn't know that, actually. I didn't know you had just come back from L.A. 
and uh, you're kind of regrouping. So when you say like Hollywood, you know, loves fresh meat, what does that mean? I mean, like, are they kind of peppering you with all these like little opportunities to make you feel like you just described? And then what, in the end, they just like shut the door in your face? Um, I mean, yeah. Or, or you work forever, you know, or you work, you know, like these celebrities you see and they're like 80 something. And, you know, I worked with Dick Van Dyke, uh, last year and, um, I remember <laughs> I were over here at Capitol Records and this dude's 90. At the time he was 91, if I'm not mistaken, right? But like some crazy number, like dude's old as fuck, right? And, um, he's in there, he's in his room by himself. And I was walking in there to ask him something or whatever. I was like co-producing the day or whatever. And, uh, he's, he's like humming and he's like, and I'm thinking like, he's just like the movies, but then it also made me think like, why haven't you retired? Like, why aren't you on some Island? Is it because you love it so much that you, you have to do it? Or is it because you're in the machine? And if you stop for one second, these dudes are going to kick your ass out. Right. But you know, he's kind of legendary. So a guy like him, you know, you, he's, you know, he's iconic, right? But for the young people who come here, there is a such thing as beginner's luck. Hollywood is, there are castings every day by the fucking thousands. There's thousands of people who move here. Thousands of people. And you've been to Hollywood. Hollywood's a very small town. Yeah. Hollywood is a very small town. I could tell you stories about every single person you've ever fucking heard of because I live across the street from them. So you have a influx. So you're constantly seeing the same thing. So I have a casting for a blonde. Here come 200 of them, right? I have a casting for, you know, a rapper. Here come another two. So you're always seeing the same thing. So when you see something new, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, it's like anything in life. You know what I mean? The new, the shiny things, the new things are completely like looked after and sought after. Who's the next star, right? Hollywood has to, like I said, it's a machine. Machines keep going. They don't stop. So if you stop, you get ran over. Hmm. So you think with like Dick Van Dyke, for example, I mean, is he just afraid of losing that edge and not being accepted in the circles that he's been running in for so long? Or do you think he's so identified with Dick Van Dyke, the actor, famous guy that he just he can't walk away? Because if he does, he doesn't have a clue who he is. In my opinion, like, you know, he's kind of a bad example. so. You know, apologize for using him, but you know, in my opinion, for some of these guys, it's 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 almost like a blood in, blood out, and not in like a weird, like you know, esoteric and all that, all that shit. Like that's a whole nother podcast, right? But in in a way that is like, this is my calling, this is what I do, and then once you're in, it's not really a getting out. You got to ride it because one, in in the in the professional industry, what, what hardly anyone knows is it's a fucking job. It is a job. So if you go and work at a grocery store and you start as a bag boy and you move up to manager and then you move up to president, you're not going to jump and you're not, or, or you're going to retire. If that's your goal is to move up and to do more, then you have a long way to go. So at the end of the day, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a job. And if anyone I've been on, I've been on movie sets to commercial sets to my own sets and to shitty sets and great sets right everyone feels like they are extremely fortunate to be there hmm. and if they don't they're not going to be in the business for very long because the um, the air quote industry 
is a world in its own. So you could be, you could be a baker. You have a job here. You could be, you could sew. You have a job here. You could, you know, any, anything, think of any profession. You have a place here in this little town, this little town that for some reason is so fucking big and worldly. Everyone is accepted, but you got to work when you get here. I see. So then how did your acting career develop in, after you kind of moved home? I mean, you, you went back eventually after you had that little hiatus back in Newport. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, I went to Newport and, um, you know, I've been a, like a club promoter and doing all this stuff in the nightlife. So when I got back to Newport, I didn't have a job. I was sleeping on my friend's couch and I did what I knew. I did what I knew, um, knew best. I sold drugs and I did nightclub parties, you know? So we, there's a place called Rudy's and I went over to Rudy's and we talked to Rudy and we were like, Hey, da, da, da. Is, is it cool if we have a night? So we brought like a hip hop, um, like Thursday night there. So it was like the first time there was even a club at, at that little bar. Right. And we used to run that shit, me and my boy, Alex. And then we had uh, the blue beat that my other buddy that our other buddy from high school that he owns with his dad. And we're like, yo, let us, you know, let us do like an eighties night here or let us do, you know, hip hop. And I just kind of jumped back into like the negative space that I was in because I felt like it was all I knew. And I felt that it's what gave me any kind of power and any kind of position and any kind of worth. It was like, I'm the party guy. If you need a party, you call Eric. I mean, my phone still goes off. I'm not lying about, Hey, my buddy's in town, dude. And I'm like, dude, I haven't, that's not me anymore. But at the time it was, and and it, it it's really all I knew. Um, so me coming back actually started with uh, with one event. It was one night after all the bars, extremely extremely inebriated, and uh, I was walking with my friend, and I'm not sure how we got into an argument, but it sobered me up really quickly because he said, "You shouldn't have come back." He says, "All these people looked at you as a leader, and we all look up to you, and you came back, and and now what are you doing?" He's like, you're a fucking loser now. And I'm telling you, dude, the next day I went and got a job application at Trader Joe's, you know, across from Del Taco and I got a job and I started like, and, and I just slowly started just trying to be normal again, trying to humble myself. I mean, I've never been so humbled where this dude who I, who I love like a best friend and, and a homie is speaking the truth to me and has never done that before. I didn't ask him to say that. He didn't need to say that, but he chose that it was important to say that. Wow. That's profound, dude. And this is really interesting to me because this is a very pivotal point, And I want to kind of shed some light on this where you made a conscious decision. You analyzed your life and you said enough's enough, but you swallowed your pride and you went and took a job and you started the building blocks necessary to get to where you're at today. And that my friend is beautiful. That is really cool to hear. And please continue. So, um, I got a job, you know, I got a girl, I worked in, you know, Trader Joe's and mortgage and did that, that whole little mortgage run, um, in orange County. But during that whole time, way deep in my gut was I got to get back to LA. I got to get back to LA. And I remember the girl that I was dating at the time, I was telling her the same thing. I got, we got to move to LA. And she was, she was from Seattle, living in OC. This is like, LA is like the devil's playground. She's like, hell no. 
<laughs> yeah. We're not we're not moving, right? So by happenstance, her her father or something got a gig down here, and I was I told you I was a club guy, and 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 at that time though I, I was I was a little more focused because I had a, I had a job, I had you know um, a girl and you know a place and stability, I guess is what I'm what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. and and because of that I started doing actually events that mattered. Right. So I did a charity event for it was after the whole, uh, I think, our second term in Iraq or something. I did a charity event for like this Wounded Warriors uh, charity. And uh, like I linked up, I just started using what I had to like connect all the dots. I was trying to connect the dots because, you know, in hindsight, I was just trying to get back to L.A. Right. So I was doing very L.A. things in Orange County. Right. We started clubs for the first time. We. You know, I did charities and did all this stuff where people are like, who did this? Who did this? And I was like, I did this on my own. So I was trying to prove to myself to like, okay, I'm coming back. I'm crawling back. Like, here I come. Right. And because of all that, uh, I got a job with, uh, with my girl at the time, her dad for a, ch- um, this charity. Right. So cool. I got a job. It's in LA. It's in LA. Holy shit. It's in LA. Right. And he's like, we're going to move you to LA. She's coming with, we're going to get you guys a car. Let's do this. And I'm like, holy shit. Like by the grace of God, this opportunity has been provided to me. Right. So I get here my first day, my first day we get here, we do the U-Haul. We moved to Koreatown. This is 2007 ish. Right. Get the U-Haul. We do all the stuff. We move in, we move in. And, and I go have lunch with a guy that I met through the charity. Um, his name is Ben Marius. Um, and Ben Marius, uh, I didn't know anything about him. I just knew that he knew uh, these other guys, right? And he's like, let's have lunch. You're here now. You know, we met before. Let's have lunch. So we go to the Grove. And it was my first time at the Grove in a while. And I get there and, you know, we're having lunch. And he's like, man, so what do you want to do while you're here? Like, what do you want to do? Like, what are you going to do for money? And I said, well, um, excuse me? Like, I work for your friends. Like, what are you talking about? And um, I mean, not to put anybody on blast, but he's like, <laughs> He's like, bro, these guys aren't going to pay you, dude. He's like, I hate to break it to you, but these guys are going to seep out everything they can from you, and you'll be lucky to get paid. And, dude, I was like, what the fuck did I just do? Like, what the fuck did I just do? I just moved here on a whim with a job that I don't have? $1,000 a month rent? Like, what did I just do? And, uh, (laughs) again, by the grace of God, he goes... I don't worry about it, dude. Uh, my dad's a producer. You know, I'm a PA. Just come over tomorrow. I'll give you names to a bunch of people and we'll get you going. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, there you go. And the next day I went to his house and his parents' house in Santa Monica, beautiful house. You know, his dad, John, his mother, Kathy, Kathy Knowles, one of the biggest casting directors here in Hollywood. Uh, John, you know, big producer. Now he's retired. Um, and he hands me this book. And it's a it, it's a folder, and there's all these things called, um, excuse me, they're call sheets, right? I had no idea what I had no idea about any of this shit. Like I thought Hollywood is like either you're an actor or you're like all those other people, right? I don't I didn't know any of this shit. Mm-hmm. So he so he hands me this book, and he goes, "Okay, look, these are the production managers, these are production coordinators. Go through this book, write down all these names and numbers, call all of these people, and one of these people is going to get you a job." He's like, "That's how it works, right?" So cool. You know, I start calling 
I start calling and, and I'm getting the craziest excuses. Like, I mean, I wasn't born yesterday. I know when I'm being like straight up (laughs) host, host, you know what I mean? Or, oh, I mean, Europe. Oh, I'm like traveling. Oh, I'm this, I'm that, the other. And I'm like, wow, these people don't give a fuck about me. They don't know me. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything about me. Right. So how the story goes, I, I do 20 calls and they all say no. So in a numbers game, that shouldn't really happen. There should be at least one sprinkled in there, but maybe I, you know, I haven't made enough calls or maybe it's how I made the call. So my next 10 calls were, Hey, my name is Eric Sanchez. I've been a PA in New York and I just moved back and I'm looking for work. Dude, like that. I was on set and I was working for this dude named George. Uh, I don't want to butcher his name, but Nisus, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I remember it. When I got to set, so I'm 27, dude, about to be 28. So I'm no, I'm no spring chicken at this point. In the grand scheme of, of life, obviously I'm very young, but in Hollywood, the other PAs are like 18, 19 years old and like sons of producers and shit like that. Like I'm up against like a bunch of little kids and, and, and I get there, I see George and George is like, he's like my age. And I, and I was like, okay, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm the AD. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. But my buddy, before I got to set, what he told me was, look, man, this is how the industry works. If someone asks you to do something, say yes, turn around and go find somebody who knows what they were talking about. So um, I meet George and he's like, all right, man, I need you to do this. <laughs> Boom, do this, that, that. He could have been talking Chinese. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> fuck, fuck. I need you to grab that layout board. I need you to do that. Boom. And, did the, and get the walkie. And I'm like, fuck. But I said, yes. And I turned around, dude, and I went to, like, whoever I could find. I was like, what's a layout board? What's a fucking glove? What's a truck? What's, you know, uh-huh. what's a camera? Like, and and I busted my ass, right? So George, at the end of the day, and this was this was like a free job, right? In Hollywood, there's this thing called specs, right? So when you, when you come in, you do a lot of stuff for free uh, to get your feet wet so you don't look like an ass when they're paying you, right? So at the end of the day, he comes up to me. He's like, dude, you're, you were killing it. He's like, you're eager. Like, um, I have a job coming up. Have you ever second AD? And I was like, yeah, no idea what he was talking about. And a couple weeks later, he hired me as a second AD on like, on like this, uh, this music video and stuff. And, and honestly, at that point is when I got paid. I never stopped getting paid after that. Th- that was like, I never stopped working after that. That's amazing, dude. I think it just kept going. It just kept going. Like, I'm just like baffled as far as when someone, you just say yes to something, you have actually no idea what it means. Like the margin for error, it seems to be so little that you could have just been fired at any point because they would have just smelled your bullshit. I've been fired multiple times. Oh, okay. What's that And there's like? nothing, I mean, <laughs> so I was on a, I was on a job and uh, I had lost like, like a walkie talkie, right? But a walkie talkie is like, in this business, like 600 bucks for some reason. And, um, we had just done, I want to say like a year's worth of jobs. Um, it was a great production company. We did like, um, an army job, we did an army job where we, our first day was at UCLA. Our last day was in Colorado and we went to every army base between here and Virginia. And I drove a camera truck and this was like my fourth job or like my fifth job or some shit. It was crazy. It was crazy what what this world what this world of you know in the industry has given me, right? So 
we're out on this job and I get back and then we jump into another job. Right. And, and now everyone's kind of, everyone knows each other, right? Production managers, producers, like we're super tight from directors on down. Everyone kind of knows each other. And I guess my PM was having a bad day or maybe, you know, some other things come into play like relationships and stuff like that. You know, when you're working so closely with a lot of people, a lot of, you know, we're all humans. Yeah. Um, and I lost a walkie. I remember she just like snapped on me. and was like, I'm not bringing you on the next job. And that was the last time I worked for them. And that was it. There's no explanation. There's no, you know, letter. There's no, this industry's like that though. That's what I'm saying. You, you, it was, it was over. And I was like, there goes, like, I just worked for this company for a year. I thought I was going to move up with them and it's over. And then I got to go see this girl, like, like at the club. Wow. Oh, hey, what's up, dude? Oh, hey, what's up? How can you never fucking call me? Oh. <laughs> what's a PM, by the way? Oh, so a PM is a production manager. Okay. So uh, there's all these, like, there's so many jobs here. But, you know, it usually goes like producer, production manager, uh, you know, production coordinator on down. Um, those are people who, who do all the hiring. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So you went back kind of with jobs lined up that, that weren't really in the acting field though. So did you ever like really try to rekindle that passion that you originally had for acting? Or once you started getting paid by learning all the little intricacies of Hollywood and realizing that there's actually a lot of jobs out there that you can make good coin doing. Did you kind of put your acting dreams aside and just start developing plans to build something else? Um, no, I think that uh, because of, you know, of the machine like qualities that I was saying, it's, it's like a moving, it's like a moving train. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to get on. And when you get on, I mean, you may have got in, you know, on the caboose or you may have got in the middle. Oh, I see. But where, but wherever you get on, it's going, mm -hmm. and and it's going to be a little bit of a mission to get to another position, especially early on, right? So, so I was told, uh, I was told something very cool. Well, I've been told a lot of cool things by a lot of cool people, um, a lot of people that I respect. But I think the acting thing, I think the reason I was doing the behind the scenes thing was because of my anxiety towards Hollywood as a whole. I needed to learn what it was that I was so afraid of. Please, please tell us. What was it? Uh, the unknown. The unknown was what I was afraid of because I grew up wanting to be an actor, right? Wanting to be a star, wanting. I mean, at the end of the day, who knows what I fucking wanted? Did I want to be a star? Do I want to be, you know, a celebrity like every everyone else seems to want to be now? Did I want to be an actor because I love the craft and I'm a thespian? I didn't even know because it was just such a big thing to me at the time that I had created so much, so much hype that that hype just turned into like horrible anxiety or, or just added to anxiety that I already had because of other things, hmm. you know? So now I'm just like afraid of this thing now. I'm just like, Oh, I'm going to go into an audition and, <laughs> and I get behind the scenes now I'm working. And I realize, like I said, this is a job. You go on any set, any set, you're going to see more people looking at their phones than looking at the, at actually what's going on. Right. And, but I needed that. I really needed that. I needed to see what was going on. And then once I started to understand it, I was like, holy shit, it's a fucking job. Wow. I thought this was like, you know, my mom said something to me one time. She said, 
uh, man, I was young. And she says, uh, dude, I love Tom Cruise. Right. And I used to have this whole thing because I'm black and Mexican. Right. And I didn't know any other black and Mexicans. Okay. Like honestly, growing up, I like, I still have hardly met any. Right. So, but I know they're out there, but I, I was always into like, oh, I'm going to be the first black and Mexican to do this. I'm going to be the first that I do. Now I'm not sure where this like, you know, internal freaking fortitude or wanting to be great. I hope everyone has it. I, I really hope every kid has this, but I knew I had it. And I was like, I'm going to be something great. And, and by doing that, I'm going to be the first, you know, I'm going to be the first black Mexican to do this. And I tell my mom, I'm going to be the first black Mexican, Tom Cruise. And in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to hire me for all the job that they hire these white dudes for. Like in my mind, I thought of this and she goes, Oh yeah. Do you think he's amazing? Or, you know, what do you think about him? I'm like, Tom Cruise is amazing. I'm dude. I, I had to be young because Tom Cruise like stopped being cool a long time ago. Right. So this, this had to be like the eighties. Right. Um, and she says, look, Eric, if you go into a restroom and you see him, if you see Tom Cruise and you open up that restroom stall and he's shitting upside down, then that's amazing. Until then, he's just like you. And I was like, mind blown. I was like, there's no way one that I'm going to walk in and he's going to be shitting upside down. And if so, he's going to be shitting on himself. <laughs> um, and two, she's right. Like she is right. Like this person is just like me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so like, so there's that, which is like the reality. So then what kind of stuff did you know? I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm just, this is interesting to me. So the, you know, the anxiety that you've talked about, you've obviously worked very hard on to combat and have you worked through it or do you still have a little bit of it? No, I'm, I think that, uh, the working through it is, is every day. Um, you know, I'm under the, or I subscribe to uh, the notion that there's a lot of outside influences, right? There's a lot of outside influences, as 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 we all kind of understand, um, that affect us either positively um, or negatively. Whether it is trauma, whether it is, you know, you have people who go through stuff when they're, you know, when their kids, a parent dies, or you know, there's something that happens to everyone at some point. And they are either positively or negatively affected. It would be great to live in a, a utopian society where it's all positive. But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of bad shit happens. And because of that, it, it creates this, this, this voice, this feeling of like failure, but it's not even a real failure because if you ever fucking failed, you realize that it's nothing. You could just wake up the next day and start do something else. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. there's, there's all these, these like preconceived notions that are ingrained in us from early age with school, with media, with, you know, who's ever around us, our parents, everyone has a drunk uncle, you know what I mean? Everyone has all these things. And, and because of that, I feel like we were never really given a chance. Cause you've already created a story that, you might fail. Yeah. Yeah. So why try? Right. Mm -hmm. So, so because of that, like, so let me tell you about this, about this thing that happened to me. Right. So now I'm in the business, right. Let's get back to the story really quickly. So now I'm in the business and you know, I'm working, 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 I'm working. And all of a sudden now I'm going back to the clubs though. So now I'm working like a 14 hour day and then I'm going to the club for a couple hours drinking like crazy probably doing coke and then having to wake up the next morning at six in the morning, assuming I slept and get back on set. Like, dude, I was burning the candle 
way the the shit was I was I was living the dream. <laughs> okay. Right. And this is 2011 now. I'm 31 years old. Um I had just done two commercials with the company and I had uh I'd been drinking during like the both jobs like hardcore. Not during the day of course. I'm not an animal, but every night you know, every night I'd go out and I was just really unhappy. Relationships were breaking down. All kinds of shit was happening. I was just really unhappy. And I did not know why I was so unhappy. I was like tragically unhappy. I was miserable. I'm like, how am I miserable? I have a job. Well, I had a job, you know, because it's in the freelance world. You have jobs. They go away. You get more, you know. So I like I'm working, you know, I'm on I'm online showing my work. People think I'm cool. Okay, so people think I'm cool. I got that. Cool. Now, I got the money. Cool. You know, why am I so unhappy? And um, I got in an argument. Uh, I believe it was in March. I want to say March 10th. Um, I get in an argument with this girl, and I'm like, I'm going out. I'm going out. I'm going out. Like, that was always my release. I'm going out. Fuck it. I'm out. And I go out, and... Uh, Apparently I'm, I'm, I'm outside of a club or inside of a club and I'm like blacked out drunk and I get, uh, I get knocked out in front of this club. Like someone um, punches you in the face. This dude. So I found out the facts later, uh, when we went to trial, but, um, and it went that far. It was pretty, it was, it was pretty interesting. Uh, but I, I got kicked out for being drunk, obviously. And, uh, they like threw me out and, um, I got up. And I'm, I'm now trying to fight like seven foot black dudes. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which is always, which is always great. I'm, I'm like five ten, <laughs> and, and like one sixty five, like sucking wet, you know? Um, but out of the blue, this other dude who's not security because security has a job to do and they're not going to be a bunch of idiots. And, and they were actually like my homies. This dude comes out of nowhere, this little dude. And, you know, some people could say that it was, you know, that he's a demon in the night, you know? showing up to you know to end my life um but i think of this dude as like an angel because what he did that night is he knocked me the fuck out and i went back and i hit my head on the floor and i was out for 10 minutes and there was blood there was brain fluid coming out of my ear um it was on tmz which is so crazy <laughs> so crazy like look i'm not even acting yet and i'm already getting on tmz this is what hollywood wants right this is you know um, and, uh, I woke up in the ICU and, um, I could have easily died. I had two skull fractures. I had a brain hemorrhage. Um, like I said, I, I had fluid coming out of my ear that they wouldn't even remove because they were afraid that if they did, my brain would come fucking seeping out of my ear. Jesus. And, and I wake up and I remember this lady has my arm and she's shaking me, shaking me, shaking me. And all of a sudden I'm up the time that the hour before I got knocked out. I, I blacked out and whatever time I woke up in the hospital, I have no idea about that time. That's black time. There was no, there's nothing in there, hmm. you know, call it purgatory, call it whatever. The light was off. It was over. So there's nothing there. And I wake up, <clears throat> this lady's like, do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? And I'm like a hospital. And I look and I see my mom. I see my sisters who don't even live in the fucking, I mean, they lived in like San Francisco. I'm like, how did you guys get here? Like, how long have I been asleep? I saw, you know, I see my whole family, my nephew, everyone's there. And um, I said a joke. 
in like Eric Sanchez fashion, I say a joke. And my nephew tells me that uh, this day, he's like, that's when I knew you were going to be okay, right? But so because of that. How long were you out for? I was only out for like 12 hours or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, they found a business card in my wallet of a friend. I'm actually Alex Dale, who we both know, um, who is a very dear friend. He's a, you know, he's like a brother to me. Um, and, uh, and they called this card and it, well, no, they called my buddy Chris and he called Alex and Alex called my mom. It was crazy. Right. So all these people, then they were there and, um, you know, I'm sitting in this hospital bed and I'm, you know, I'm all, I'm all injured and shit. And, um, I just started thinking, man, I was like, I died. I started thinking I died. And I was like, okay, you died, dude. What did you do? What? You died at 31 years old. What did you do? Like in what life? The coolest thing? Like, like, what's the coolest thing like to, to hang your hat on? You know what I mean? What did you do? Because that's important to me. I've always thought of myself as something a little better than not, you know, not other people, but then like, then like whatever's being, I'm like offered to me. I've always thought that like internally I have something great. I I am going to be great. So I died at 31. What did I do? And I was like, uh, I designed, I, I had a graphic design job where I designed like a pashmina and a gift bag for the cosmopolitan hotel for the grand opening. Well, that's it. That, that, dude, that was the only thing that I could think of at the time was like, I designed for this big hotel and I realized that that was nothing. And, you know, I didn't, like, I didn't even think about, you know, if I had affected anybody's life or anything like that. I just thought of, like, what have I done? And if that's the only thing, dude, then you got some work to do. So I got into uh, the recovery process from this stuff. You know, we went to trial. I moved downtown. I spent, like, seven months, eight months downtown living in a very small, um, I'm talking about, like fucking purgatory i lived in the alexandra hotel the alexandra hotel is like crackheads and shit i live in this little room dude and every night i would look out that window and, and that window had a little ledge on it and there was a long way down and every night i was like man what am i doing here dude what is this shit like do i jump out this window like what is fucking going on i was miserable dude i started drinking again going through trial like but there was something happening though there was like this shift though where i was like now dude now there was like now now and because of how i left the industry i i was basically like i was basically 86 because you just no didn't, was, you stopped showing up you disappeared you disappear and that's how this business works dude that train has left the fucking station and i'm and i'm the idiot who comes back thinking i could just hey guys i'm back yeah i'm sorry i drank myself fucking retarded and completely played myself and, you know, I'm sorry I ruined all these jobs because I'm showing up fucking drunk. I'm, I'm sorry I smell like tequila. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry I can't concentrate on the most minuscule freaking email because I'm, like, half drunk. Huh. Hey, let me back. No one wanted me back. So I just knew that that was my opportunity. I said, this is an opportunity, man. You learned so much in, in the time that you were 31 and before. I started, remem I started remembering, dude. I started remembering that in, I think, uh, in, like, when I was like 11, my mom put me in a summer school program and we were doing commercial production and I was making little movies. I, I remember when I was five and playing the violin. I remember when I was seven and playing the cello. I remember that I always drew and I was, I used to make my own freaking comic books. I started remembering who I was and what I actually wanted. And, and I feel like that whole situation was the, 
hugest wake up call and the best opportunity. Cause I was like, okay, now we have to move forward. Like, let's take all that shit you learned and all those opportunities you're given. Let's put them all together. Let's think about this and let's move forward. So it took a while, you know, it, it took a while to get some of those old habits out. And it's not until I would say this year, actually last year, um, that a lot of things really started clicking. But, you know, throughout that process, though, you know, you asked me the question about anxiety. Um, I now run towards the, all that. You run towards that fear and anxiety instead of running away from it or trying to. Um, or trying to drink it away. Drink or, it away, blanket over it. Yeah. Exactly. Blanket over it. And now it's like, dude, let's just go in there and see what fucking happens, you know? So. Um, well, can we talk about that? I mean, let's talk. What, what happened? Like, what, what was the shift? Where'd you go? Like, let's talk the steps that you took to be where you're at today. And what'd you do? <sighs> well, always trying to drink less, right? Always trying to drink less. Um, but so I went through this trial. I went to this trial and, and, and the dude, um, you know, hopefully I don't get in trouble for this, but the dude hired Mark Garagos. So if you know who Mark Garagos is, he, he was Chris Brown's attorney. He was Michael Jackson's attorney. He is the most well-known defense attorney like in the world. And it's me against Mark Garagos in the court of law. And uh, I was nervous. I was nervous. I was about to go on a stand. I was just, it, it was just crazy, man. That's fucking law and order, you know? <laughs> I'm sitting there. There's a judge. It's crazy. And the day, a couple days before, a friend of mine said, have you ever meditated? And uh, I said, no, you know? Um, I did grow up in, in a spiritual family. My mom was fantastic dancing and stuff into a lot of ceremonies, seen a lot of crazy shit. Um, but I never actually meditated, you know, I was 32 at the time. I'm like, no, I don't really know what that is. And he's like, well, he's like, pick a word. He's like, pick a word It's called a mantra. And I was like, okay. And he's like, try to say that word to yourself and try to only say that word and da da da. And he tried to explain it to me. And I, I didn't really understand, uh, but I was like, Hey, okay. So, so now cut to you. I'm, I'm, I'm in like the little, um, the holding area before you go on the stand. And this is one of the biggest things that's, you know, that's kind of ever happened to me. Right. Obviously. Um, and, uh, I was like, I got to meditate because I was, dude, I'm telling you my, I wanted to jump out of my skin. I was so fucking nervous. I was, it was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever felt. I was like, this is crazy. This is fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Like the kid used to stutter. I felt like I was going to go up there and like stutter myself retarded. All of a sudden they're going to throw me in jail. Like I'm guilty. Like, dude, the thoughts going through my head were crazy. And I saw the word and it was patience. I saw it. Like I saw it. And then I started breathing. Patience. And I started saying it. Patience. Then I stopped saying it and that was just happening. And it was just in my head, patience. And it dude, it took me to this whole nother place. I felt like I was in that holding. I was probably in there for 10 minutes. I felt like I was in there for two hours. The whole world had completely slowed down. Everything just slowed the fuck down. It was like slow-mo. I'm telling you. And I get up on that stand and I couldn't really tell you all that, all that kind of happened, but I know that my attorney came my attorney emailed me because she wasn't there. She sent in um, another person to come and sit in. And her response was, that is the best. Um, testimony. Like, yeah. The best testimony that I've ever seen. And that was a, 
that was like, okay, it's in you. You, it's there, dude. It's there. Like, you are in control of this. That's beautiful. That was like, and that was my first kind of idea about being in control of, of my thoughts, of my emotions, um, of myself. And, and, and then just like slowly but surely, man, year by year, it's, it's just about wanting to be better. I want to be better. I want to be what I want to be. I was in the eighth, what, eighth grade and a kid came up to me in school, this kid, Moses. He said, Eric, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a superhero. And he said, you're in eighth grade. The fuck? Like, you want to be a superhero? <laughs> I still want to be a superhero. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I still want to affect other people's lives. I still want to be a better man. I didn't have the luxury of having a dad to walk me down this path. I have to figure this shit out. And that's has always been my, uh, my motivation is that, you know, yeah, the Hollywood shit. That's what I, I grew up in. I grew up in this, in this, this kind of, this kind of world. So that's like the least of my words. So then when did the, um, the brainchild for YKMG, your production company come into play? So YKMG stands for Young King Media Group. So now, I'm, you know, I'm in trial and I'm living downtown and I'm doing all that shit. And this dude named David Rodriguez, he was, he, he is a DP, a director of photography, um, and had already done a bunch of cool shit by the time that I met him. Um, he suggested, he was like, look, man, you're here now. You know, you're not, you know, really in the business. Um, he's like, you're really creative. He's like, I know how to use these cameras. Um, why don't we start our own thing? He's like, you know, you have a lot of confidence. He's like, I know you could do whatever. And, and I know all these cameras, you know, I know all the technical. So that's all we need. Right. And, uh, and that's what we started young King media group as a, as a, you know, as a, a boutique production company. So what do you do? Like, and, and what year did it start? What year did young King media group start? This started after my injury. So, um, like that conversation was one thing, but, um, I was contacted through a friend by this woman named Chanel Green. And I'm telling you, Chanel Green's a saint, but Chanel Green has a daughter named Indigo. And Indigo and Chanel approached us and offered uh, and asked us if we shoot a music video for them. So all of a sudden we had our first job. And this is just within like like a week of starting this thing, right? Okay. A la Hollywood. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do something new, here they come, right? Okay. So we started this thing, boom. So check this shit out. So like on my birthday, the next year, after we shot um, and did a music video with this woman, uh, Chanel, for her daughter, I know it's small. They paid us like 300 bucks for it. Um, Chanel had these connections. And on my birthday, I'll never forget this, a music video that I directed. I'd never directed a music video really before. Only thing I'd done video-wise on my own was like these little handheld things that I used to do when I was on set way back in the day, um, which I should have, <laughs> I should have kept actually doing. Cause now, you know, all these years later, I'd probably be like some YouTube fucking star, but uh, the music video was on the cover of MarieClaire.com. Wow. And, Congratulations. And, and, and I'm like, really? Like, is this happening again? With your, with like, your name, with young King media group on there. YKMG you know, directed, you know, my logos on the fucking video. Wow. And, and there you go. It's up on, on Marie Claire through Chanel Green's connections. Right. So all of a sudden I went from a PA 
you know, a tragic story to a director whose production company is on Ray Clint, right? And that was like the first fucking YKMG shit. Like, like that was, that was the first thing, but you know, but it was just like the mansion thing. It was like, here's an awesome opportunity. Here you go. It's easy. It's not easy. And every job after that got so much fucking harder. (laughs) (laughs) Every job got so much harder. And, um, but but it was cool though, because one, you know, I, I really realized that like, all right, you know, we could do this. You know, we could do this. This is, this is something that we could do, you know, and Dave and I, um, we don't work together anymore. Um, and he's more of a film guy and I saw that. So I kind of stepped away, you know, to let him do what he needs to do. And, but, um, yeah, that was the start of YKMG, dude. Does it still exist or is it done? No, YKMG, uh, creative content still very much exists where, um, we just shut, we shut down our last website, uh, which was ykmgmadeit.com. We just actually closed that down. Um, and we will have a new website in the next couple of days. Um, we, uh, we just did a job in Silicon Valley with Nightscope and Nightscope is one of the most talked about products and companies in Silicon Valley. It's, um, autonomous robot. Like, like when you, when you hear the beginning and you see now, like it, it very much still exists. So, uh, it's definitely still, still going, but you know, it's actually just beginning. Is this your bread and butter? I mean, this is how you make a living still with YKMG. This is how I've made a living for at least the past three years. Okay. So you don't have to take odd jobs anymore. Like you make enough money from YKMG to, to do your thing and continue to pay your bills. I mean, yeah, I would, you know, uh, the odd jobs now all relate to uh, the industry, you know? So I think with Hollywood to uh, this perception of, you know, of cost, right? I mean, not to break anyone's bubble or like, you know, expose the harsh realities, but you ever see someone who did, you know, a commercial and you're like, oh man, you probably made a bunch of money off that commercial. You probably get residual checks and da da da. That's like the eighties and nineties. That shit doesn't really exist. I mean, it does. Yes. There's a lot of residual stuff and you can get money off of doing stuff. Right. But now everything's like a buyout. Right. So, if, you know, if I want to hire Chapin for a commercial, I hand you a contract and you're, you sign that contract. That means you just made $2,500 off that commercial and then you go away. That $2,500, that $2,500 is not going to last you up until you even the commercial comes out by the time that commercial comes out dude if you thought that twenty five hundred dollars that commercial is going to get you anything you've gone broke and moved home so the money and the success and the opportunities and all that don't necessarily don't necessarily match which is why i'm saying that you know we've had to restructure it because i'm i'm literally learning this shit as we go you know some people go on youtube and watch you know freaking makeup tutorials and some people go on youtube and you know watch illuminati videos i may watch illuminati videos but i spend a majority of my time on youtube learning about stuff that affects the business and affects you know production you know i've i've self-taught editor um self-taught basically director you know we kind of do everything and and it's it's it it's all just come from research and development and just uh, just really trying to learn how to get better. And at the end of the day, how to make more money and and how to be a viable business where, you know, like right now, it's super slow in Hollywood. I got a bunch of dudes that are all freelancers are like, yo, dude, you got any work? You got any work? You got any work? You got any work? And they're coming to me, which is super cool. 
And, um, you know, I really wanted to make this point too, because I, I think that's, it's, it's like super important when, like if you go through this story and, you know, it sounds like a trip, but, um, like when I got knocked out and when I ended up in the hospital and stuff, um, I started asking myself why, right? Like, like why I was, I was trying to kill myself because that's how I think I, I, I think that's exactly what I was trying to do. Okay. I think that I was trying to kill myself, right? Like any way necessary, right? Or by any means necessary, um, you know, as Malcolm X said, but I, uh, I realized, because I, I realized the reason I was so unhappy was because I didn't have any control. And in order for me to be happy, I knew I needed control. And, and now when, you know, I get the phone calls or now we have a job and stuff and we're there and we're interacting with these people and stuff and, you know, conducting interviews or doing all this shit, I'm in control and I'm fucking happy. Yeah. <laughs> this is my ship. You know, the captain goes down with the ship. I'd rather sink with this ship than sink on your ship. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Yeah. Lifestyle design, baby. You create your own destiny. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, when people tell you things like I've been told so many things by so many people. And I remember all of them, you know, from my mom saying that you don't look for a job, you create one to uh, this AD Bucky. He told me he sat me down in Colorado. I remember um, at Outback Steakhouse, I ordered a shot of tequila and, and he says, Eric, what do you want to do? He said, what do you want to do? I was like, man, I want to be a producer. He was like, all right, well, I used to want to be a writer. And he said, one day I woke up and I had a mortgage. I had two kids. I had a wife and a couple cars. I had school, clothes, food. He said, I never, he said, I've never wanted to be a writer ever since. So he said, if you want something, you better go fucking get it. Cause you're going to wake up one day with a mortgage and a, a bunch of kids and you got to figure out how to feed these people. Mm-hmm. So you better go do it now. And I was like, boom. And even when I was in the industry, dude, I, every two years I would move. I went into wardrobe. I went into, into office shit. I went into everything just to make sure that I still wanted to be a producer. And just so I could learn every little thing, because this dude said, you better go fucking do it yeah. or else, you know? Yep. And I think that we're all kind of given these things, you know, I think it, it it's weird, but oh, there's like a time and a place though, you know? There's that old saying like, um, you aren't ready to listen or like you aren't ready to like hear it. And so, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's a time in your life and I don't know if it's age or whatever, but you know, there's always someone out there that's kind of looking out for you, whether you know it or not. Yeah. No, I mean, in my introduction to Misfits and Rejects has a good friend of mine in Nicaragua, Don Gomez. He's like 70 years old. He uh, is a documentary filmmaker, really well known actually in Hollywood and he ends the whole conversation with, you know, for all you listeners out there, the things that I achieved in my life, I just went and did it, God damn it. And it's just like, hell yeah, you just go out and you design a life you want. It's not easy. You're going to have to pick yourself up after falling thousands of times. But if you do do it over and over again and you're determined, you will make it. Or you will make something that will be successful in some way. I agree. Now, you have a few different irons in the fire, though. I'd like to kind of touch upon your other one, which is a really cool podcast called My So-Called L.A. Life. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of this. Uh, yeah. It kind of sums up this whole story right now. So maybe can you tell us about that and what's going on with that? Yeah. So uh, My So-Called L.A. Life 
is uh, is a cool show. I mean, you know, if your listeners want to check it out, it'd, it'd be obviously greatly appreciated. I won't shameless plug it too much, but um, it, it actually happened because a young lady um, who who is actually the host, and I'm I'm the producer kind of um, co-host. Um, uh, this girl, Natalia, she approached me. I was shooting an event, right? I was shooting an event and I had asked a friend about another person because I wanted to shoot another girl that was in my video. And I was like, Hey, and I described her and I was like, can you find out who this is? I want to talk to her. So she gives me this girl's number. It's not even the girl I was talking to about. It was like this other girl to tell you, right? Uh, and then uh, we formed like um, a friendship. And she comes up to me one day. She's like, hey, I want to do a podcast. I want to do a podcast. Can you help me do a podcast? And immediately, I remember being 18 at um, in high school in Mrs. Sinclair's little job center. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took the like the aptitude test or whatever the hell that little computer program is that tells you your future. And it said, you would be good as a radio DJ. And now at the time... I'm thinking, yeah, right. I mean, I'm still stuttering. How am I going to be a radio DJ? Like, yeah, this thing is fucking obviously broken. This machine broke. (laughs) So when she asked me that, I was like, hey, there's another fear. There's another fear to, you know, to add to your belt. There's another obstacle to turn into a stepping stone. Just fucking do it. And something told me, you know, like, just do it. And along the way, we've had, we're only up to like 17 episodes. We've, uh, we've been doing it for under a year. Um, and now it gets better and better, but, it was just an example of another one of those fears. Like she wants to do it. I'm scared. Let's do it. Yeah. So I like to work with people who are just as motivated as I am, are going to push me, not pull me, but actually push me. Like that's what I found in Italia. But I'm telling you, man, this girl, she just like is she wants it and she keeps wanting it. And if I'm not there, she's calling and she's just aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. That is what it takes to be successful. You have to be aggressive. This is not a game. You know what I mean? I like to think of it as a game because I love basketball. You know, I try to think of it as, you know, I'm Allen Iverson. I'm five, nine. Everyone else is seven foot. Let's fucking play. Right. But you have to think like that in order to succeed in anything you do. And, I thank the Lord that she actually came in this mix because it's really pushed me. It's really, it's really allowed me to grow as a producer and understand how to work with other people. Um, I mean, the show's not that serious, you know, it's super tongue in cheek. We talk shit on this whole fucking Hollywood thing, but, but it's fun. Yeah. I've listened to a few episodes and I do like it. I think you guys get, you're very real. I mean, it's a very entertaining, real show that, um, you know, if you're in Hollywood, I think it's very relatable. You can really understand like a lot of the stuff that you were talking about earlier, like for me is Chinese, like eighties and PMs and stuff like that. But I think for the Hollywood crowd, it's, it's super relatable. And, and if you, you know, are, are trying to achieve anything in life, you're right. You know, it's, I saw a quote this morning. It was don't wish for it, work for it, you know? And I like what you said, mm-hmm. where it's like, turn every fear into a stepping stone, man. Like make that decision, lifestyle design. If you're not happy, Make a change, dude. Work, it's go, not gonna, go work your ass off for it. Exactly. It's not going to kill you. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, you know, it, if you think about what people actually fear, right? You can look up any statistics, right? It's like, it's like fucking public speaking and then like something else. It's not even death. Yeah. Like, we're not even afraid to die, right? So going back to my injury, 
When I came out of that, I was like, yo, I beat that. What's next? Mm-hmm. Got that out of the way. Yeah. You know, even being, even being on TMZ, dude, I was on TMZ getting knocked out, right? I figured that the embarrassment alone from that was, was going to be my downfall. I thought I will never get any, that is it, right? But I mean, we live in a 24 hour news cycle. So not even that fear was fucking true. That's the thing about fear. It's not true. It doesn't exist. It's a concept. It's a fucking, it's a virus. It's a mind made phantom. It, it is not real. It, man, I was like, oh, do people are going to, everyone's going to clown me. No one fucking clowned me. They're worried about me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's just, that's, I mean, you asked about the anxiety stuff. It's every day, the fear stuff. It's every day because we're surrounded by opportunities to be anxious, to be worried. You know, we got bills, we got this, boom, boom, boom. If, if we spend 99% of our day stressing, then we should give ourselves at least like, we should try to give ourselves like 10%, maybe, maybe take like 9% of that 99% back and maybe spend 10% like not being afraid and, and then, and then work your way, not being stressed. You know, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to be, I'm in this book right now called the one thing, right? And the one thing uh, talks about, um, it's not about, it's not about a balance. It's about a counterbalance, right? When you say like, I need to balance my life. Like that's one thing that like, that's like, that's just, that's like, oh, I need more balance. What the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I need more balance. I need to try to get more balance. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Oh, you need more balance. You're like, what is, what is that? But when you think about it as like a counterbalance, then you understand that things are going to happen and they may sway you one way or the other, but it's our job and our, uh, because we have free will, right? We could pull it back. You know, you're overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed by a job. You're overwhelmed by a job. Well, how do you counterbalance that? Maybe you give your time to, you know, to meditate or maybe, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've heard of that book. I've actually looked up, uh, trying to get it here in my life pretty soon. Um, I'm reading a few others at the moment, but I've heard it's a really good inspirational book. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty good. I listen to a lot of things and, you know, um, if, if, if I could give, you know, anyone any kind of, you know, advice in, in, in regards to entrepreneurship, it would be to read endlessly. You know, I, I'm not even a good reader, right? I, I, I don't. I, I'm pretty sure I'm like dyslexic mm-hmm. um, because when I start reading, I always want to read from the back forward mm-hmm. and from right to left. And then when I like, I have to get into a rhythm when I read and it's, I'm always thrown off it. Right. So what I, I what I've done is I do audio tape. Um, and in particular, I listen to the four agreements, which is, you know, about spirituality and, you know, like, internal mental wellness you know i think there's a humongous problem in this country in particular but all over the world uh with you know with mental uh, stability you know yeah. um i i read the 48 laws of power i i spent man i spent i say about three years listening to the 48 laws of power every single day every single day without fail every single day hmm. um um i uh the one thing is is where i'm at now um, have you ever read the power of now? I've not read the power of now. That's the one I read every day. I've read it three, three times at this point. I read a page every night and I just go, 
over and over. I switched between a few of his books, Eckhart Tolle, but that one, that's the one that grabbed my soul and every cell in my body when I read it. I got to check it out. I definitely got to check it out. But yeah, it's about, it, it's, you know, if you want something, then you have to make the effort. And, you know, some of the effort isn't, has nothing to do with social media, has nothing to do with who's watching, who can I impress? There's no one out there. Mm-hmm. No one cares. You know what I mean? Like no one cares really. Like everyone has their own lives. Like people care about your success. I get it. People care about other people. I care about you. You care about me. I get it. But in regards to your success and your, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and your business, the only person who cares is you. So you should probably give it all you got. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and there's people out there who've done it before. Like you're not alone. Right. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who are fucking waiting for you to come along and say like, Hey man, is there anything you can tell me? Like I have a mentor. He just told me one day, he said, he said, Eric, you're like me. And that's important when you look for a mentor. You know, I, I, I never knew how to look for a mentor until I had one, but, but I knew I, I always knew I wanted one. Right. And this dude told me he's a little older than me and very cool guy. His name is Dio Kurosawa. Such a cool guy. He lives in, he was in Belgium now, if I'm not mistaken, or Amsterdam. Um, but oh, we're sitting there and he's like, you're like me, dude. He goes, your job is going to be to connect the dots. He says, you are, he said, you're a people person. He says, you could hold a conversation. Uh, you're confident. And that right there, once you do one thing for somebody and you do it well, then the next time they need something else, they'll still come back to you. Mm-hmm. And and I'm telling you, dude, like every time he's dropped like a little bit of that on me, it, it comes, it comes true because I see it and because I was listening, you know? Yeah. Like I see when my clients call me and they're like, uh, uh do you do websites too? <laughs> like, yeah, sure. I'll do a website. I love it, man. I think, uh, this conversation has brought some light into, you know, the reality of, of being in LA and what it takes. And like you said, it's, it's a job, it's a job. And I hope that I can be one of those dots for you and, and as you move forward in all the endeavors that you have and we can connect in, in whatever way necessary to perpetuate those desires and ambitions that we both have, brother. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come out. And um, can people find you at what, ykmg.com? Or do you have a website for your My So-Called Life? Do you want to give a shout out to you of those? Yeah, yeah. So um, so My So-Called LA Life is on iTunes. You could type in my so-called LA life. You'll see us. We have a cool little blue logo. You'll see uh, an Italia with, excuse me, with her devil horns. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's a halo in there too. Um, and, and yeah, it's, um, it's a really cool show and we like doing it and we plan to have more episodes and uh, we're moving into doing, you know, more video stuff um, in regards to YKMG uh, creative content. Um, our site has been pulled and will be back up um, in a couple of days. Uh, but um, and that's yeah, what ykmg.com. Um, no, it's uh, but that's ykmgmadeit.com. But we are moving out of that name. Okay. Um, that was um, that was just the like I said, we're like at the beginning. You know, that's like the first run, first incarnation. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in, in the 48 laws of, of the 48 laws of power has a little saying about that, you know, about constantly recreating yourself. And, uh, which is why I'm never married to a name. I'm never married to 
anything like that, you know? So, yeah. So, um, but you know, if, if you go to YouTube, you can see some cool, cool stuff. You go to YouTube and type in YKMGLA. Um, if you go on, you know, on Google and type in YKMG made it or YKMG creative content, you will see a lot of different things. And we've done stuff from, you know, LA underground parties to, like I said, the robot recently, you know, we, we've really been able to stretch our wings. And I say we, because, you know, I can't do all this alone. Um, I have an amazing, amazing, talented crew. Uh, that I work with, you know, from Ben Marius to Lawrence Lee, who was my neighbor. Uh, he went to UNC and he majored in film. I'm like, all right, let's start working together. You know, it really takes a village in this town and all my, all my efforts and, um, crazy, you know, outlandish delusions, um, could not be possible if it wasn't for the help that I get from, you know, from others like me, basically. Radical brother. Yeah. I love, I love your post. Keeps me going too. I mean, just trying to, to make these dreams come true is not easy. And it's nice to be in a network of people online that are also striving for greatness. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, Eric. And I look forward to seeing what you have in store next. All right, Chapin. Um, one, I, I, I just really wanted to say that, um, and, uh, well, I'm super emotional, so I'll try not to get too, too emotional, but in school, when I was in high school, uh, as a few people that I think of that I have always looked up, up to and even, and even now, and it was because they were so cool. Right. And not cool in a sense where like, yeah, dude, you got all the chicks, bro. Like fuck all that. They were nice people. And, and their hearts were almost like, you only say people glow, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two people that I always think of when I think of Newport Harbor high school. And I could say you're one of them. And, uh, I really appreciate you reaching out to me and, um, you know, um, I'm kind of honored to be on, you know, on your show. So, man, um, that's really nice of you to say. I appreciate that, Eric. I never knew that. And that makes me feel really good, dude. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no doubt, dude. So you're a good dude. Um, I look forward to hearing your future podcast and I hope that you can make it on, onto ours and it might be a little raunchy. Uh, but, <laughs> but I guarantee it'll be fun. I'd love it. Let's uh, yeah, let's do that. Uh, we'll talk soon, brother. Much love. All right, you do. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that... Maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.